Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. So I'd like to, uh, us to begin by closing our eyes, okay? Try not to fall asleep, though. If your neighbor starts to snore, just, you know, give him a gentle poke or something like that. Now, uh, I want you, your, are your eyes closed? All right. <laughs> Uh, I want you to try to picture something in your mind. You ready? The thing I want you to picture is God. Can you do it? It's hard, isn't it? Maybe you came up with a, a symbol. Maybe you saw Yeshua, who is the perfect image of God the Father. Maybe you saw a throne, because that's often how we see God in the Bible. Okay, you can open your eyes. All right, was that tough? Okay. <laughs> is it possible? Is it possible to see God? Was this a, a futile exercise? Have you ever wanted to see God? How would that even be possible? Well, the ancient Near Eastern folks had a great word for wind in the Hebrew language. Do you know what that is? Ruach. That's right. Okay. One Torah point for Renee. Okay. Uh, the Ruach. Can you say that with me? Ruach. Okay. And uh, uh, Ruach means wind, but it also means breath. And also means spirit, like the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And this is what the biblical authors chose for the life-giving spirit in the Bible. They chose the word Ruach. And uh, there's also a similar Greek word in the New Covenant, panuma. Can you say that? Panuma, very good. A similar meaning, and it means breath or air or spirit, right? Like a pneumatic tire, right? Is filled with it. You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, I see some nods, so uh, that's good. That's very encouraging. All right. Um, but that's that's the same the same word, right? It's this very similar meaning to ruach. I think God inspired Moses to use this word because of how useful it is to understand one way of seeing God. Can you see the wind? Can you see the ruach? Yes or no? No, you can't. So how do you know it's there? You feel it, right? And you see the effect of it, right? You see the Ruach animating the trees, right? Moving the leaves, or perhaps a very thin person would be, you know, that's why I have a little bit of a belly, make sure the wind doesn't carry me away. Okay, tough crowd today, that's all right. Uh, but anyways, that's how you know the wind is there because it animates, right? It brings life. And that's how we see the Ruach. That's how we see the wind. So maybe in this sense, we can see God. This is how Paul puts it in the letter to the Romans uh, in chapter one, starting in verse 18. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. In unrighteousness, they suppress the truth because what can be known about God is plain to them. For God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen ever since the creation of the world, being understood through the things that have been made. So people are, all, people are without excuse. So Paul is saying there's no excuse for not seeing God because we can see the works of his hands. Does that make sense? Right. When we see a tree or when we see a bird or when we see Gordon, right. We acknowledge that <laughs> these are creations of God. Right. And we say, Baruch Hashem. Yeah. The first time I had a strong sense that I could see God working was uh, I'd made a musical based on the story of Ruth in college. And I saw how God brought the right people into the, into the right roles. The girl who played Naomi happened to be Jewish and not yet a follower of Yeshua, but the Lord, you know, used this. It was really, really amazing. The girl who played Ruth was a lot like Ruth and was very kind and compassionate. The, the guy who played Boaz was, you know, kind of seeking the Lord at the time. So it was really it was really amazing. It was perfectly cast, and I was just got to be kind of a part of it. And so many testimonies came out of this because what were we doing? We were bringing God's word to life with, you know, staging it and, and bringing it to people with music in a way that they could understand it and interact with it. And so, you know, it was just amazing to watch God work, right? And to see God and touch people's lives. This was my senior year and uh, of of college, and I remember even feeling kind of down, kind of sad afterward, because it was such a powerful experience of seeing God, at least seeing God move and bless, right, and I could see the effect of what He was doing. I knew He was in it, so maybe that's what what it means to to see God. So that's that's all, right? So I'm I'm done. Yeah, as Eric would say. But wait, there's more. <laughs> okay, yes. Uh, this is from Yeshua in the beginning of John 14. This is another way of perhaps we can see God. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. This is the words of Yeshua. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Master, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Yeshua said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have come to know me, you will know my Father also. For now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Master, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. What's he saying? I want to see God, right? Yeshua said to him, Have I been with you so long for so long a time, and you haven't come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father dwelling in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the works themselves. 
right? Going back to, we see the works of God. So we know that God is working. We know that we can see God that way. Amen. Amen. I tell you, he who puts his trust in me, the works that I do, he will do. And greater than these, he will do because I am going to the father and whatever you ask in my name that I will do so that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The oneness of Yeshua with the father shows us the father shows us God. If we want to know what God is like, what his character is, what he cares about, we can look at the life of Yeshua. This is similar to the way it works naturally, right? Um, my face reflects my dad's face, right? You look at him, at least, you know, when he was a little bit younger and it's like, maybe that's, maybe that's David, right? And the, the same way and my son's face reflects my face. I look at him and I see myself. And to be honest, thankfully, a lot of Sonia, right? And that's good. Um, Yeshua's face, his presence, his love is it perfectly reflected the face of the father, the presence of the father, the love of the father. Taking this one step further, Yeshua is the son of God, right? But we're also a son or a daughter of God. So what does that mean? Our face should reflect the face of God, right? And each day more and more as we spend time with God and as we put his word into practice. Once we had a, a Rabbi Ron Aronson um, speak from this Bema uh, right here where I'm standing, he led a congregation in Texas for many years. And uh, he gave a testimony that there was a Jewish man who regularly, he didn't live in the same city as the congregation. He didn't li live in Texas. He flew in to the congregation um, on most Shabbats, right? And he, and he, and why did he do that? He said, I'm drawn to the light in your face. That's what he said to Rabbi Ron. So the question is, can others see the light of God's face in our faces, right? This is the goal of relational gospeling. This is the goal of a covenantal community. So now we have seen that seeing God means seeing his works, and seeing God in the life of Yeshua and in our lives as we grow closer to him and in the lives, the faces of, of others. But wait, there's more. So now I'm going to throw a wrench into this sermon and I'm going to contradict myself. So I'm going to use not a phrase from Eric, but a phrase from Fiddler on the Roof. On the other hand, right? That's what, you know, we like to say. So on the other hand... The scripture says, we can't see God. Doesn't it say that? It's impossible. This is from Exodus 33. Moses asks to see God's face. He has an encounter with God and the Lord responds. But he also said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Well, that's a head scratcher there. Ugh. But on the other hand, we have many folks encountering God, right? But they react based on this verse. They react in a similar way. What do I mean? Well, this is what happens. They'll, they'll have an encounter with God, and then they'll be like, hold on. I think I'm still here, right? Amazing, right? So let me give you some examples. This is uh, Hagar uh, in Genesis 16. 
Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees me. For she said, have I even seen him here and lived after he saw me? Right? Isn't that amazing? And uh, in Judges 13, Manoah and his wife are visited by God to reveal that they will have a son named Samson, Sam, Samson, who will rescue them from the Philistines. And this is what they say after the encounter. Then Manoah realized that it, he was the angel of Adonai. Manoah said to his wife, we will surely die because we have seen God, right? Because that's what's supposed to happen. So spoiler alert. Sorry if you haven't read it. They don't die. Okay, so what's going on here? Well, there's a rabbinic term called tzimtzum. Do you want to try to say that? Tzimtzum. T-S-I-M-T-S-U-M. Try it again. Tzimtzum. Okay, so Rabbi Isaac Luria coined this term, uh, which means self-contraction or self-limitation. According to Luria, God employed tzimtzum, in order to create the universe. Otherwise, God would consume the world because he is so great and so vast and so radiant. At various times, we can say that God limits himself in order to interact with humanity. This is likely what is happening in these encounters with God in the Bible. So in the fullness of his radiance and glory, no one can see God. Right. But on the other hand, it seems that God can purposely limit himself so that he can be what among his people. He can be with us without us being vaporized. I mean, let's take a natural example. Can you look directly at the sun? I can't hear you. <laughs> no, you can't. Right. And this is just a created thing. Right. So isn't God more radiant and brighter and more magnificent than something that he created? Yeah. So, but sometimes you can look at the sun if you have what those special glasses that they make to, to look at an eclipse or something like that. So too, with God, he makes it possible to see him by his grace, but he has to limit himself in a sense, right? You also can't get really close to the sun, right? What happens if you, if you try to get, you know, take a spaceship and go up to the sun? Zap, right? <laughs> You'd be vaporized, right? So isn't God more radiant than that? But, he, but by his grace, he visits with us. By his grace, right? By his simsum, he limits himself so that he can be among us, so that he can be God with us. And that brings us to this week's Parsha, which is very interesting in, in that it's a very matter-of-fact verse. I don't know if you read it this week, but to set the scene, this is what happened. We came out of Egypt. Woo! We received the Torah. Woo! Things are going well. And we made a commitment, a covenant to keep the Torah. And uh, this is where it picks up in Exodus 24. Then Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins, and the other half he poured out against the altar. He took the scroll of the covenant, read it in the hearing of the people. Again, they said, all that Adonai has spoken, we will do and we will obey. They're receiving the covenant of the Torah. Then Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant, which Adonai has cut with you in agreement with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. They saw the God of Israel. 
That's what it says, plain and simple. And under his feet was something like a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the very heavens. Yet he did not raise his hand against the nobles of the children of Israel. So they beheld God and ate and drank. Notice again that the text reminds us that they were not punished or vaporized for seeing God, right? He didn't raise his hand against them. They just saw him. So he must have limited his radiance by his grace. Um, and essentially, what happened after that? They saw him and then they had an oneg, right? They had a nice meal. The meal seals the covenant and the covenant brings the presence. We see the same thing happen in the Last Supper, the Passover meal with Yeshua. What are they doing? They're eating together to show intimacy in connection with the covenant that is about to be fulfilled, the new covenant of the death and resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah on Passover, right? They're eating with, in the presence of God, right? Right? With Yeshua, and they're all together, and they're having a meal to seal the covenant, which is the same thing that happened in Exodus. So we've established that we see God through creation, through his mighty works and miracles. We see God through seeing Yeshua and through seeing each other. We see God by his grace as we encounter his presence in worship, and he limits himself so that we can live and see him. We see God in the context of communal meals and the context of covenant promises. That's why we're trying to do uh, Oneg occasionally, right, Eric? That's why it's our heart to, to get together and have a meal, because we want to be face-to-face with each other, right? After we've been face-to-face with Hashem, Panim El Panim. We see God in the context of, of these meals and the context of covenant promises. But the question is, how can we see God in our daily lives? How can we make this practical? There's a great line from the Sermon on the Mount where Yeshua says this, and uh, let's read it together. You probably are familiar with it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's say it one more time. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So now the question is, how do we get pure hearts? Hmm. Well, I think there are three ways. Number one, pure hearts through trials. Number two, pure hearts through compassionate action. And number three, pure hearts through God's cleansing. Let's look at number one, purifying through trials. This is from Malachi 3, verses 2 and 3. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Right? We're going to see God. He's going to appear to us. For he will be like a refiner's fire and like soap for cleaning raw wool. And he will sit as a smelter or a purifier of silver, and he will cleanse the sons of Levi and purify them like gold or silver. Then they will become for Adonai those who present an offering in righteousness. Think about the refining process in gold or silver. What gets those impurities out? Fire, heat, right? Pressure. Do we like it? No, we don't like it. But God uses our trials and our going through to purify our hearts. And at the end, what happens? The purifier can see his own reflection in the gold, right? Because it's pure. He's taken all, the, all that stuff out, right? And he can see his own face. So too, the father can see his reflection in us 
after we entrust that process of hardship to him. Number two is pure hearts through compassionate action. This is what uh, it says in Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves in tender compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord pardoned you, so also you must pardon others. Right? So pure hearts are marked by forgiveness and working out grievances and compassion. And finally, we have pure hearts through God's sovereign action to cleanse us. This is uh, uh, from Titus 2 and from 1 John. He gave us, he gave himself for us so that we might rede- he might redeem us from every lawless deed and so that he might purify for himself a chosen people zealous for good deeds. And the second one I really like, if we confess our sins, let's say it together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I don't know about you, but this verse has often comforted me, right? Because what do we do? Sometimes we we beat ourselves up, right? For things that we've done. But remember, if we confess our sins, then he purifies us, right? Enables us to be clean, right? So that we can move forward. We don't have to do that anymore. So we can have pure hearts through trial. We can have pure hearts through compassion and through God's faithful cleansing. And to what end? Why why do we want pure hearts? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. May the Lord purify our hearts through Messiah Yeshua, that we may see God, we may see God in our daily lives and encounter him and even share a meal with him as we share a meal with one another. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.